So in this podcast recording with Sam Bishop, I learned a lot. Some things I knew already, but as always, it reflects and helps me learn for things that I'm not doing the same with. And I think a lot of the time, we often talk about things, but we don't do. And sometimes I have this phrase, to know and to not to do is to not to know at all. So what Sam helped me do is reflect on the things which I do know, but done nothing with and thinking, well, why haven't I done that? And one of the key things is around this preparation, execution and reflection. And I think as you listen to the podcast, you'll have heard Sam talk about his key points around that. Understanding what your preference is for preparation. Are you someone who needs meticulous detail? Do you have to get everything lined up before you start? Or are you happy just to start start now and be adaptable as you go? You may be looking for the same result, but you might have someone else who does it a different way. It doesn't mean their way is wrong. It just means they're different. And you can both achieve greatness from that. So reflect on that differences. In the podcast, I talked about Patrick Lencioni and his five dysfunctions of a team, which we use extensively with clients. The book is well worth a read. The training from it really helps people understand how do you build trust? And Sam and I covered that word trust. Trust to me is very different for different people, but the key is understanding what it means to you. How do you know what you're doing, trusting yourself, trusting other people, and what is it you need to do to build trust? Lencioni talks about getting people in a team to understand where have you come from, what's your background, what's your beginnings, and then you can start to understand from that. If you have an understanding of your beginning, you can start to understand why you are in the place today, what's got you to where you are now. I really think that's powerful because that helps you have open conversations, which could be seen as conflict, but we know will help you build a better business or team in whatever that is longer term. We also talked about the execution phase, about how do you get people to really drive perfect execution. Now, is there such a thing as perfect execution? Probably not, because other things happen all the way through. But when things do go perfectly, you know you get the great satisfaction from it. You're in your flow. But it's when things go wrong that you really need to question it. What do you need to do different to help you as a team or an individual? Understand how to amend your journey. What is it you need to do to put plan B in place when plan A doesn't work out? How do you help yourself get to a better, responsible point at some stage in your journey? So preparation leads to execution. And we often talk about that. Piss poor poor preparation leads to poor performance or words to that effect. But the key is, it's about what is it you need to prepare for yourself? And how do you understand that from your team perspective? If you're different to others, it doesn't mean they're wrong. And then let's look about this reflection piece. I shared some of the things I had with Sam about my what went well and even better if. I still come back to that, the things I learned in 1996, which I still hold dear now, because it's that reflective piece that we often make excuses for not doing. And the excuse is, I haven't got time. I know when I've run my marathons in the past, I often used to sit down and write my little journal notes up. I said little journal notes because I used to do it quickly. But I found the value in it was just whatever I wrote down gave me a view and how did I run the next one better? How can I perform better? How can I train better? And those helped me understand myself a lot more. So I'd urge you in your own reflective piece, do what's right for you. I often use the phrase stop, start and continue. But then I had two more of, do more of or do less of. And that actually I think helps you really reflect. So stop, start, continue, do more of, do less of. It's a really good reflective piece. Sharing it amongst the team. When I run my sessions, I often talk about key learnings and I get the team to go around the table and each person to write down a minimum of three key learnings, but then to share one of those with the whole team because I know it's in the sharing that you learn more. So I'd urge you to take that on as what you can do to learn more. So there's a wonderful stuff that came up from Sam's podcast. The, the, The information he shares about pressure, about trust, about adaptability and resilience. It all resonated for me because we know that in these difficult times in business, whatever difficult means for you, actually, we have to have that adaptability. We have to have that resilience. And that's what helps build the culture that we know will succeed in the future. So when you need to know more, reach out. It's phil at ignmconsult.com. Listen to more of these Sparks by Ignium podcasts. And as always, please share them with other people who you know might benefit. Because it's only when we get the message out, we know that we can all best benefit from the knowledge of guests like Sam Bishop who I gratefully interviewed today and really understood a lot of what he's doing. And I'd love to get him back on the show because I think there's so much that we can learn from people like Sam as we go forward. And finally, if you have guests that you think would work for the show, please send them our way. It's phil at igniumconsult.com. 
We're always looking for people who we believe have got great content, have got ability to put their message across and a message to share. So please feel free to send them our way. Thank you. Welcome back to the Sparks Baganian podcast. I'm Phil Rose, your host, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Sam Bishop. Sam and I have known each other for a number of years through our mutual acquaintance, George Anderson. Uh, I was talking to Sam earlier before we came onto the podcast to talk about how would I describe him? And he uses the word performance psychology in executive coach. Now, what I know about Sam is he's worked for many years with elite performing athletes and professional sports teams. And that's what intrigues me, because when I look at the world from a business perspective, we look at the world of performance. But I'd love to talk to Sam on this podcast about what he finds when he's talking to those people about how they stay at the top of their game. Because I think the similarities between business owners and sports people are key about getting to the top of your game and maintaining your energy while doing the things that you need to be doing. So I'm delighted to welcome Sam Bishop to the show. Sam, welcome aboard. Thank you, Phil. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to, to the time together today. Yeah, it's great. Thank you. And, and, and you know, we've known each other for on and off for a number of years here, actually. And I think it's really interesting looking at that world where I work as a, as a business owner and also a business coach. And I've worked in coaching for 15 plus years now, helping people. What I've never done is work with sports people. I've been a sports person in my own right, but I've never done it from a coaching perspective. Um, I'd have to find out, what are the things you think people at the top of the game, wherever they are, need help with most? And that's putting you on the spot to ask that. No, that's a great, great question and great place to start. For. One, one of the things that I would say from those that are at the very top of their game, which initially started, as, as you've given in my introduction there, in the sporting world, um, before now more recently transitioning and, and also holding a client base within the business world, was very much their approach to pressure. So if they've been successful and if they've been able to climb that ladder or climb that mountain to get to the very top of their specific sport or in their industry, what we're really thinking about there is how they maintain those levels of performance. And so what that often equates to is how they deal with pressure in the moment Mm -hmm. or how they maintain performance levels where maybe if they're an individual player or an individual athlete in an individual sport, such as golf, for example, or if they're a team member or they're within a team, such as say football or rugby, is when they're in the the heat of the battle, how they execute their game plan or how they are able to fulfill their skill sets and behave in the ways that they want to in those ultra pressure moments of the yeah. game or the fixture that they're playing in. That's interesting. And I think that word pressure is interesting. And I've got two, th- two trains of thoughts on that. And I'm going to go on my first one to start with. Um, I-, I worked with a company a number of years ago, um, run by a lovely lady called Alex. And we talked about how perfor- performance is not about uh, one-offs. It's about maintaining energy. And she used the example of, a, of an Olympic athlete preparing for the next cycle of four mm. years. So we've got Paris tw- or France 2024 coming up in a year's time. And her view was that business people needed to have that same in- in- intelligence about maintaining energy because it's a slow climb to that. But you have to peak at certain points in world championships or things like that. And she used the view that a lot of CEOs would have to manage to maintain their energy. But the key was maintaining it throughout the year because what she had found out from her research was that you would work, 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 go on holiday and fall ill. Yeah. What's your thoughts on that in terms of maintaining that energy through a cycle, whether it's a year, whether it's four years, like an Olympic cycle? Yeah, no, one of the things that I noticed straight away, Phil, which I think is important to reference for your audience is that the elite athletes that I've worked with now for over a decade, since day one, over 10 years ago, they understood this idea of managing energy. Mm. They understood it straight away. So it wasn't a new concept to them. It's something that they've done for years and years and years is they're aware that there are times that they need to really push themselves. They need to really push the envelope on their training, but also therefore allow themselves to have those opportunities to really decompress, rehab, recover, rest, recharge. And they see it as that sort of oscillation between those two zones of push and recovery, sort of thrive and rest. One of the things that then happened when I then got exposed to the business world, as you're saying, the CEOs, the business owners, potentially members of your audience that are listening right now, is that potentially that concept of being able to push and then rest and recover was an alien concept because it was around this idea or this perceived belief that they've got to be on it or pushing the envelope all of the time, which then meant that there was an inability to be able to perform for those longer periods of time or those longer cycles because their energy levels were just depleting after a strong burst or an excessive long period whereby they weren't taking care of themselves. The business may be propelling itself forward. The business may be recruiting fantastic results. There may be huge business growth, but the senior leaders or the individual leader 
that was there for the, at the, at the, at the I suppose at the at the guiding sort of uh, principles mm-hmm. or the light of the organization was just gradually becoming more and more burnt out yeah. and that their ability to manage their energy over a longer period of times wasn't possible so one of the things that I would be encouraging your audience to think about is something I encourage my clients to think about is what are the expectations that they're placing on themselves so is their expectation that they're thinking about longer term and holding the longer term vision mm-hmm. or are they at this moment in time very much just focused on the next push, the next yeah. peak? And therefore, it's not about ever saying what's right or wrong as our, yeah. in our coaching roles, Phil, that's not our job, what's right yeah. or wrong, but to stay curious with them. If they're holding that shorter mindset, so for example, for the Olympic cycle, rather than thinking about the Olympics in four years' time, instead the, the business owner is saying, actually, you know what? I'm thinking more about the next three to six months. Yeah. Okay, what benefits is that bringing to you? But also what challenges might you therefore not be being aware of? What might you not be considering if we were to take a longer-term vision and think about the longer cycle as well? So expectations, I think, is a really important starting point when you're thinking about managing energy yeah. and also thinking about what levels of performance you've got as an expectation throughout those longer periods of time. Yeah. Too. I love that word expectation. I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because um, I'm just looking at the picture behind you. You've got a picture of the shard. And I think about from a business perspective, you know, we look at people being at the pinnacle of the organization. And often we think of, you know, the CEO being at the top of the tree, whereas, you know, there's lots of business models. So, you know, the CEO is there to support the, support the organization. And therefore, there's a lot of pressure on them. Um, I have a view that the CEO is just part of the team. And it's their job to find people who are better at doing their job than they are. So they don't have to do it all. From a team perspective, I think this is key though, isn't it? Because in a team, everyone has to have their skill, their unique skill. And I'm just reflecting here. We've just come off the back of an amazing Rugby World Cup final and seeing how South Africa and New Zealand, two of the greatest teams in the world, it was a shame England weren't there, but they did well against Argentina. But seeing them in the pressure of that moment. And I think from a business perspective, there's a lot of lessons that business owners can learn from that about having those 15 men on the pitch, each with their individual responsibilities. But I wonder from a coaching perspective, how do you help people when they're in that view that they think they've either got to do it all or they're facing the pressure of supporting everybody, either as the captain or the CEO? What are your thoughts on that? Very much to try and question that perspective, Phil. So we do it in a gentle way because often it can be that that expectation is formed out of potentially a desire to do well or a drive or a determination. So it's not about taking that away from the CEO or the senior leader, but very much just getting them to be very open-minded to what might be the impact of that expectation. So if they were to use language such as you've just said there, actually, I need to do it all, or it's my responsibility to take the lead here on absolutely everything and not delegate or trust the team, is to question that in a very curious way. Okay, so that's your perspective at this moment in time. What might be the impact of that upon you if you were to continue to take responsibility of absolutely everything and feel like you must be the person that leads in every meeting and leads on every objective? Because as you say, that's a direct contrast to, for example, a rugby team of 15 players that are across the pitch holding a defensive line. There's the understanding and acceptance. Not one player is, is able to control absolutely everything across that defensive line, but actually the need to trust the person next to you and to trust that as a group of 15, we understand our roles and responsibilities. And so it's very much initially with some senior leaders that I work with, some business owners, is getting them just to be curious about the impact and also get them just to hold that wider perspective. And again, I say that in a way that's not judgmental to them, but is curious to get them thinking because I, I think it doesn't take very long once they start to soften that perspective to actually understand that there could be a benefit in maybe delegating more or handing over elements of trust to people to complete certain tasks. Yeah. But then we're, I suppose, leading into another really interesting topic as a leader or business owner is that idea of trusting your people or trusting your team. Yeah, and it's interesting, actually, because I've just written down that word trust. I wanted to pick up your your thinking on that because... Um, we talk the word trust we talk about it a lot what does trust mean to you and how do you think people perceive it in the business world or the sports world Mm. and how do they perceive it differently sometimes I think in the sports world if you've got a team that are trusting so using an example like for example the South African rugby team or the New Zealand rugby team at the very height of that game the elite level the trust there is just this unquestionable belief in each other to follow the game plan and trust each other's roles and responsibilities. It's almost unbreakable at that elite level, in my experience, in the successful teams. I think in businesses, I think that that unquestionable trust, that deep belief and core, I suppose, understanding of each other can sometimes be what gets lost or can be a little bit miscommunicated. 
by maybe people questioning agendas or mm-hmm. positioning their own desires, maybe above that of the organization or that of the team, yeah. particularly yeah. if there are hierarchical structures and there may be people, maybe say a, a certain level of management that are then fighting over the promotion, that can sometimes be quite disruptive to the team being cohesive, collaborating and that trust being present. So I think that's probably one of the differences I see regularly between the work I do in the sports world and the business world. Teams that hold a trust and a cohesion in the sporting space, they're really in it together. And I can hear that language when I go into business settings, Phil, it happens in leadership and team development session. Sam, we're in this together, but at yeah. times their behaviors don't match that language. And I think that can sometimes be the discrepancy that I see between the two contexts. Yeah, I think that's really interesting in it together. And I think that's really interesting as well, isn't it? Um, I often use Patrick Lencioni's five dysfunctions of a team as a, as a great model. It's a very simple pyramid. And for any listener who's not uh, talked to me about it in the past, you know, the, the core of that is built on trust. And in the absence of trust, people aren't willing to have those healthy debates with each other because I don't trust you to deal with the information the way you should be doing it. Um, so we do a lot of work around building trust up to, from ground up um, and looking at teams, and, and one of the things that Lencioni talks about, which I love doing, is getting people to understand who the human is behind the individual, behind the face. Um, from a, from a, your perspective in psychology, how do you help people understand who that human being is? You know, because I'm dealing, I'm talking to you as Sam Bishop, yeah. but it's knowing about the person behind the mask. Absolutely. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, one of the things I'd encourage uh, the business owners or senior leaders that I work with, Philip, as in that coaching space, is that often they can be very uh, responsive to the reaction of the person. So they've got a member of their team who's acting a certain way and they'll come into a coaching session with me or a performance psychology session and they'll be irritated, frustrated. They'll be hot and heated about, can, Sam, can you believe they said this? And we're meant to be a team. There's meant to be trust and collaboration. They've just gone and done that. And they're in that reaction They're in that emotional reaction to what they've just seen or witnessed. And one of the ways in which I work with the senior leaders or the business owners for this, what might be going on for that person. So yes, I respect a part of you that's charged up right now because of what you've just seen them do. Mm. But as you've just said, the person behind the mask is I'd I'd ask them open questions of the leader or the business owner that I was working with, say, what could be one of the reasons or what might be going on for that person that's led them to act in that way? Yeah. So therefore, rather than being reactive to that individual, you can get them to become reflective. And it's just a slight movement in observation or reflection space. But for me, it's a key for them getting deeper into understanding their people rather than just responding to what their people do or how their people act. Yeah, that's really interesting, isn't it? So actually getting them to take that. And I love that, you know, that that nuance around that, just a reflection piece. is really. It's, it's the reframe. Psychologically, it's the reframe. So let them react. Absolutely. Rage. If you need to rage, rage at me for these first five minutes of the coaching session. I can't believe they've done that either. Get it out. Mm. And then when that energy drops and that emotional energy drops, it's the reframe psychologically. Okay, that was your reaction. Now let's offer a reflection. What could have led to that person in your team acting in that way? Yeah, lovely. And as you know, it's really interesting, isn't it? What could have led to that person reacting in that way? And I think so often we don't put ourselves in the shoes of that individual and reflect on where they're seeing things because we're seeing it from our angle all the time and actually getting that different perspective on it. You can, you can under, well, you may not fully understand, but you can appreciate maybe there's a difference to something that someone's doing something in a different way because of this, the way they've done things in the past and you've never thought about it from their angle. Absolutely. So it, it brings in that idea of being empathic, an empathic yeah. leader. It also encourages us to think about emotional intelligence too. And thinking about the positions that we hold when we're in communication or when we're in relationship with other people. I think it's a huge important tool that needs to be used in coaching sessions when we're talking about the situations that we're describing right now, Phil, because I think we can get very much locked into, particularly high pressure roles, yeah. the idea of, well, this is what we've said. This is what we've said we're going to do. There's pressure on us to perform. I can't believe they've done that. And then just react, react, react. And I think that energy of reflection is vital. It's a yeah. vital step, but can often get overlooked in high pressure situations. Well, I think it's true. Actually. And I think I think even in um, non-high pressure situations, I think it, if I'm thinking about team builds for new teams, Sometimes just having that reflective instinct, getting people in the room and understanding, okay, where are they coming from? How can we build the best team from ground up, which we don't often get a chance to do. But if we do get that chance, it's amazing ability there to pull a new team together, project team, work team, whatever it might be. Sometimes it's just having those conversations. And I think those conversations will often lead to the biggest insights because it could be that people are seeing the situation Mm -hmm. from the same perspective. 
Yeah. But because of their own life stories, their own life histories, their personality traits, profiles, all of those sorts of different things, they're choosing to react to it in a different way. Yeah. And that can be really powerful because sometimes I work in team development sessions and the presumption is, well, I'm team member A and I'm seeing this situation from this perspective and responding in this way. Team member B is responding in a different way. So they must mm-hmm. be seeing it very differently to me. I can't believe they don't see it the same way. But when you start to have those deeper discussions, you actually get team member A and B to recognize you know what we do see it the same way oh my goodness we're seeing it the same way but when i see those situations like that i choose to act like this that's fascinating you choose to act like that why is that why are you responding and it creates this golden moment of insight but also i think deeper connection with other people even at times when they are seeing things the same way but choosing to react to it in difference and and, you know the interesting thing that comes to my mind you're talking about those you use two words just now, emotional intelligence, which is mm-hmm. one thing. Um, and also the fact that we just have different ways of doing it. We have nuances in doing things. And I think we just have to appreciate each other's strengths and also the bits where we need to improve those weaknesses and understand how can we best support each other? Because I've got strengths in some things, you've got strengths in other things. We might be tackling the same problem, but we might have different approaches to it. Both are right. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of the things I talk about, Phil, in, in some of the keynotes that I deliver is that three core principles for performance. And the first one is preparation. Yeah. And exactly what we're talking about now, it could be that you've got a team of people that are preparing for a high pressure match or fixture or business meeting or business launch, whatever it might be. But there'll be two members of the team that, although they're both aware of the pressure, want to respond to it or, or approach it in different ways. Yeah. One could be very much want to know the detail, wants to know the game plan, the structure, the business strategy, the details, execution plans. Give me all of that sort of detail. Be very logical in their preparation. If I know the details, I feel confident, I feel secure, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to face that high pressure moment. Yeah. But there could be other members of the team that don't want the detail. They're not logical. They don't care about the facts, the, the sort of minutiae detail. Actually, they just want to feel confident. They want to feel prepared. So they're more emotionally led in that preparation mm-hmm. phase. So actually, they just need to know the level of detail that affects them. So yeah. they feel ready, they feel confident, and then they're ready to go into that performance space. And so I talk about it regularly in that space. It's about understanding ourselves and understanding those around us to not reach a position of judgment, yes. but a position of awareness. And that, I think, is a really powerful distinction. That's interesting, isn't it? Because often we hold that space of judgment around someone as opposed to awareness in the first instance. It can be it can be highly unsettling. It's really easy for me to say this, but it can be really unsettling to be a member of a team or part of a leadership group and people are aware of the situation, the high pressures on its horizon, but people are choosing to respond in different ways. And where mm. we see the difference or something that's different to us, that can be highly unsettling. But actually, if we can push past that difference into an understanding rather than reaction, yeah, I think it stands us in great stead moving yeah. forward. And, and you know, isn't it? Because when you think of any conflict situation between two individuals, it's often that difference in understanding and awareness that really is the thing that would drive and resolve a lot of conflict in whatever that conflict means. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's often a misunderstanding. Yeah. There's a misunderstanding that's creating the conflict yeah. rather than just taking time to fully try to understand another. And you may not be able to, but at least you can get more of an appreciation and awareness rather than just being in a position of judgment. They're not doing it like me, therefore they are wrong. That, in my experience, isn't the case. They're just choosing to approach it differently or they naturally want to approach it in a different way so that they feel prepared for that situation. So number one is is preparation. So so what I'm hearing there is you've got the three steps and we'll talk about the other two in a second. Mm. Preparation is number one. So you're you're bringing people together to get them to understand differences and, and, and similarities as well. Yeah. So that awareness to start with before we move on to do the next stage. Yeah. So preparation is all about getting you as an individual person to understand how you best prepare for a high pressure event. So it may, whether it be a Premier League football match or Premier League rugby match, for example, or tennis, cricket, and golf in the sporting space or in the business space, it's that meeting, it's the pitch, it's the business launch, it's the strategy, it's the all hands, whatever it might be before that highly pressured situation that really matters to you, where you know you want to go and perform, Mm -hmm. how do you best prepare? And as I've just given that illustration of the example, some people are very detail focused. Some people are very emotion focused. Some people like the slide deck, Phil. They like the script. They like to know their bullet points. They like to rehearse multiple times so they can go out there and they can deliver it effortlessly. They know where they're going to be three minutes and 30 seconds into it because they're so well scripted. But there'll be other people that don't want a script at all. 
Yep. They don't want to know what they're going to say. They don't want to rehearse it because they fear they're going to come across as robotic. So in those sorts of situations, there's that difference. So it's about understanding you as an individual and then where appropriate, if you're part of a team, to become reflective and understanding of how other people are preparing too. Yeah. Regardless of what it is that they need to do, have an understanding of it rather than a judgment of it. And so in that preparation phase, it's making sure you and your people or you and your team are as ready and prepared as they possibly can be before the execution phase, which is when the referee blows his whistles for the game to start, the business meeting starts, the customer walks into the room, whatever it might be, it's the, everything that happens before the performance yeah. window. And it's interesting because as you say, the referee blows his whistle. I remember I used to work in a, in a, a company that made um, motorsport engines mm-hmm. uh, and as a Formula One team, when the when the when the starter's gun went or the, the lights changed, yeah. So we had to be and and as an engineering company, we had to make sure our product performed perfectly the moment the driver put his foot down, the car had to perform. And it's the same in that same thing there. You know, when the when the referee blows his whistle, when the CEO says go, it's got to work. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and it's the journey. It's the phase. Yeah, I wouldn't say phase. I would say journey. Journey is probably a better word. It's the journey that you take as an individual and as a team all the way up to that moment of when the CEO presses presses go or the lights change or the race or the referee blows the whistle. It's everything that needs to happen for yeah. you and your people, your product and your business to be in the best shape it possibly can be for when it needs to perform in that execution. Yeah, and it's interesting because the phrase that comes to mind is the six Ps that various people um, blunder around. But, you know, at the end of the day, perfect preparation prevents poor performance. Yeah. And that's the key. And I said five Ps there. Um yeah. The, the key is actually it's about that preparation phase because if you can get that right, the execution is flawless. Absolutely. Phil, you're using language that many of my clients would use, particularly from the sporting space, maybe more than the business space. Mm. But a lot of the athletes that I work with, they say, Sam, preparation is the most important phase because yeah. if we got our preparation right and we've done the reps and we've done the preparation the way that we know we need to, when we're in the game, we know that we've done the work. And they'll use language like that. You would have heard that a lot around the world. We were all kind yeah. of fine. I saw it in some of the interviews. Yeah. Some of the players saying to each other, uh, sorry, saying to the um, the pundits and the people that were doing the interviews on TV, you know, we're ready. We know we've done the reps. We know we've done the work. Actually, let's just get the game on and let's start because we've done everything we need to to now go and perform. Yeah, I, I heard a, a, a fascinating story many years ago about a golfer uh, and the golfer turned up to an open. And while he was there, he just noticed that others were out practicing their putting on the green beforehand. Uh, and someone said to him, you know, why aren't you out there? And he said, because I put the hours in beforehand. Uh, and basically, if I didn't have it in me now, I'm not going to find it there in the next 10 minutes. And I think there's a lot to be said for that about um, you've got to come with that mindset, but you've also got to have done it. You know, the the, 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 the Johnny Wilkinson's back in 2003, he didn't kick that ball. And I, I reflect back on that because last time, you know, we remember that that wonderful picture. He didn't kick that ball for the first time when it went over the post. He'd kicked it 200 times every week before that. Absolutely. Just to make sure it performed purposely, perfectly on that day. Yeah, absolutely, I agree. And and I think sometimes it can be overlooked. I think sometimes it can be underappreciated what the preparation phase enables you to achieve when you get to the execution. I think I think there are still some mindsets, maybe more now in business than in sport. If I'm to differentiate them, yeah. that thinks actually it will be all right when we arrive. Oh, we'll get there. Oh, we'll, we'll work it out. We'll work it out eventually, or it it will be okay. And I think that, that that can sometimes be quite a strong difference between some of the athletes that I work with and some of the business and organizations that I work with is their importance on the preparation. Yeah, I agree. So let's move on to execution. Okay, so we, we, we prepared. We're, we're now, we're on the starting line. The, the starter's mm-hmm. gun's gone. The whistle started. Yeah. Execution. Execution is, is it? yeah, it's, it's that moment where it's, as some of my clients describe it, it's, it's the time to shine. So this is the moment where you've got to deliver. You've got to deliver on your product, your service. You've got to deliver in your pitch. You've got to work with the customer in that space to generate that conversation or or reach those outcomes that are going to be really beneficial for them. It's that moment of pressure. I describe it as pressure that can either come from an internal source Mm. or sometimes the external source. And I'll expand on that a little bit for your audience, Phil. The, The business conversation has started or the pitch has started. And some people in that moment will be feeling that internal pressure. I've got to do well today. I've got to do well. They'll be having that internal dialogue. Do well, perform well. You know, you've worked so hard to get here. This is your time to shine. Come on, don't let yourself down. You know, you know, you know your numbers. You know, you've done your research. You know what it is that you want to guide the customer through in this conversation. You know how to create this positive pitch. All of that internal pressure to do really, really well. Driving 
high levels within themselves. But there'll be other people that have a different experience. So maybe some of your audience will recognize more with the second description I'm about to offer. Actually, it won't be an internal pressure. It will actually be the external pressure. So they will be driven in that moment to perform well and execute by the outcome of that performance. So the recognition may be from their managers, from their leaders. Maybe it's the financial bonuses and the rewards that they're going to get. Sometimes describe more sort of those um, extrinsic rewards that they're going to get from it. Actually, there's pressure to perform right now in this business context, because if I perform well today, I hit my KPI, I get my financial bonus, I get recognized as being a high performer within my team, and that opens up an opportunity for promotion at a later stage. Yeah, interesting. So you're talking, therefore, in this execution window about this idea of, and I talk about it regularly with my clients, do you experience pressure? Nearly every time the answer to that is a yes, but where's the pressure coming from? And that often will yeah. be confusing for them, uncertainty. They won't know where the pressure's coming from. They'll know that they just feel it. So that can be quite a powerful distinction to make in, in development of awareness yeah. too. So it's, it's really interesting, isn't it? I was um, I was reflecting at this weekend. So um, my daughter won't mind me telling this. My daughter's a, a, a cross-country runner and she, she, she does an amazing job. And we were talking recently with my father. Um, and, and my father, he's, he's in his 70s. And he won't be listening to his podcast because I say what I want here. Um, and he was always viewers. He would always question you came there, why didn't you come further up the field? Why didn't you do better? Uh, and I noticed a question to him the other day and he said, where did you come? And she gave him the, the place and he said, oh, well, there are only X number of running in the field. So he came last. And I was thinking, it's an interesting mindset, isn't it? Because I take the view as a parent, it's, it's about the you know, showing up, dedication. Yeah, she wasn't first in the field, but she did an amazing job. And, and I think it's really interesting in terms of how do you apply that pressure and how does that, that external voice say to you, you didn't win, how does that reflect on you for your next race or next performance? What's your thoughts on that when you've got it's, it's, it's brilliant that you brought this, yeah, it's brilliant that you brought this lens, Phil, because once I identify where the pressure's coming from for my clients, we then talk about whether they want to keep it or they want to work against it. So some people, whether it be internal or external, love the idea of pressure. Yeah. For some of my players, if I told them that sorry, for some of my players, particularly in the sporting space, if I told them that there won't be any pressure guaranteed a win, they wouldn't want to compete. They want the competition. They want the pressure. They want it. It drives them. It makes them perform better. It, it makes them want to be in the zone and really squeeze yeah. everything out of themselves. They love the idea of pressure, regardless of internal, external, it really elevates them. Yeah. But there'll be other players and there'll be particularly people in business that I work with my business clients that actually they want to understand how they can manage the pressure or enable a more effective way of reducing the amount of pressure because for them, the pressure inhibits their ability to perform. That's so it. you'll have members of your audience listening to this today for that will be saying, you know, pressure is good for me. It gets me up for it. It makes me really perform at my very best pressure. I need it. I want yeah. it. Yeah, bring it on. And there'll be others of your audience that will actually be saying, I don't want it. How can I manage it better? What can I do to reduce the pressure? Because mm-hmm. when I feel pressure, it blocks me. It inhibits me from performing. Mm-hmm. So it's a great lens to then take into your discussion. Not only do we need to identify where it's coming from, but then we need to identify whether it's got a source, a, a benefit, a source for good, or if we need to manage it more effectively. Yeah, I think that's really interesting, isn't it? How do we manage it more effectively? And it comes back to that same conversation we were having earlier. You know, two people coming at the same problem with different approaches. It could be the person who's done all the preparation and exactly where their speech is going to be at three minutes and 30 seconds in, or the person who just thinks they, you know, they do it every time, they don't want to prepare. They're both delivering a perfect speech in their mind. They're going to be able to do it but different approaches to the same thing. Yeah. Really interesting. You think, you think about a leadership team all being circled around doing a, a, a team huddle maybe before a big event, mm-hmm. and there'll be some of them in the room that will want the pressure. So they'll be pumping each other up, high mm-hmm. claps, high energy. Come on, we know what this means. This is massive for the business. For example, it's a business launch. This business launch is everything. We've worked so hard for this. Come on, everybody, don't let ourselves down. This is the last hurdle. And there'll be other people in that room that will just be desperate for those people to shut up, to be quiet, because they don't want that intensity. They don't want that overstimulated pressure. Instead, they want calmness to be at their very best, to execute the game plan, to be brilliant in that business pitch or business launch. They just need to feel calm, feel prepared, feel ready, but not in an overstimulated, highly pressured way. Again, Phil, I'm smiling as I'm saying it because I see it so frequently. It's not about me ever saying to people what's right or wrong. Yeah. But very few people ever spend time to truly understand what works for them. Yeah, I think that's really interesting, isn't it? There's a phrase that's going to my mind. I just want to ask you the question on this. So that great philosopher, Mike Tyson, once said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What happens when that happens? You know, we all get that punch in the face. Yeah. We all, we're all there. 
how do you deal with that in the moment when it doesn't go the way you want it to go or it does yeah. go the way you want it to, but you've still been hit in the face. Yeah, absolutely. I, th I think it's a great question, Phil, because I think what we're talking about here is those moments of adversity, those, adver those moments of maybe setback or challenge. And again, I, th I think it brings out different things in different people. And that's not me trying to offer a therapeutic or psychological answer, not give you a definitive. But I think what, what all I can really share with you is what I see. I think, again, for some of my clients, it brings out the best of them. Yeah. Actually having a setback or some adversity, a little bit of pressure or stress, it, it, it really elevates them. They, they quite like it. They may not like they may not like me describing it in that way or they may never ask for the setbacks or the challenge. But I think sometimes it really helps them understand that it means something to them. The idea of it not going perfectly the first time, they hit a bit of adversity. They think, yeah, you know what, this, this really does matter to me. So I'm going to work as hard as I can now to overcome this challenge or navigate it or run through it. Um, whereas I actually think for other clients that I've worked with in the past, uh, hitting a stress or adversity or a setback can actually be highly derailing for them. Yeah. Not, not necessarily because there's anything um, that they've been unprepared for, but maybe a little bit of a fragility in their mindset that they weren't expecting it. So I think sometimes people can get turned on by a punch in the face. Yeah. It, it, it almost awakens their energy. But I yeah. think for others, if they're not expecting it and it catches them off guard, I think it can actually make them uh, shy away from the challenge or move in a different direction. Yeah. So this comes back to your point about preparation, isn't it? Because we can, you know, I, I come from the aerospace industry where we had to prepare and do risk management because if we got it wrong, planes fell out of the sky. So we had to think about eventualities. And when a plane did fall out of the sky, you would then factor that into your next risk plan to say, well, what if this happens again? And, and to me, that's how business teams and performance sports teams probably need to prepare as well. Thinking about, OK, what could happen? How do we do these set pieces? How do we plan those moves? And just thinking about if this happens, then this happens. Yeah. And I think that's the key. And I agree with you. I think that's the key in the preparation phase, mm -hmm. because I think what they start to then do is starts to develop the mindset of yes, we've got plan A, but we've also got some considerations for what might happen if these situations don't unfold the way that we want them to. And, and I think it can be an overused word, so I'm, I'm mindful of using this word, Phil, but I think that then starts to, to shape an energy of adaptability. And I think if you can create an adaptable approach yeah. that, yes, allows you to push full steam ahead with, with project A or plan A, yeah. but yeah. then when there's that, that, that bump in the road or that block, that yeah. adaptability... Some people might use the word resilience, but I think adaptability sometimes fits a little bit neater into that space. What can you adapt or how can you adapt to this challenge that then means you're not completely knocked off course and that you can still find a way forward in this space? And whether that be you go a couple of goals down in a, in a football match or whether that be that the business launch or strategy maybe isn't fulfilling or being um, executed in the way that you'd hoped it would. Yeah. And, and, and I agree with you. I think adaptability is the word. I think we have to have resilience, but we yeah. have to have adaptability to enable us to move forward. But interesting, isn't it? That's just my mindset. Doesn't mean that you have to do or other people in the team have no. that mindset, but we have to look at how do we work together? Because I take a few, actually, I'm adaptable. I make things work. I'll find a way. Yeah. Whereas yeah. other people have to have their set game plan. Absolutely. Yeah. Because adaptability in its, in its energy and in its nature creates some ambiguity. Well, we don't yet fully know, do we? So we're going to adapt here. We're going to try mm -hmm. something. For some of my clients, they love that. That's when they're going to be at their very best. That's yeah. We spoke at the very start about being an elite performer. Some of my clients love that. Let's not have a game plan. Just let me get on the pitch. Yeah. Let me be adaptable. Let me get into that business environment and I'll just yeah. respond to the room. Leave it with me. I'll adapt and I'll be great. But for others, that is so unsettling yeah. because that creates ambiguity. They've got no way of feeling secure. And actually that then can be really inhibiting to their ability to perform or maintain elite performance levels. So again, it's, we're going back around to that position of not right or wrong, but knowing people as the individual that they are. If people like plans and certainty, why not have plan A all the way through to Z? Go for it. Have as many plans as you yeah. need. So you can adapt in the moment, but yeah. you can adapt to a pre-prepared plan. Yeah. Not a problem. But other people won't need that. They'll just like the energy of adaptability and the excitement of the opportunity that adaptability can bring. Yes, I love that. I love that. So let's move on to the final piece in that case. Yeah. We've prepared, we've yeah. executed, and yeah. the next piece is about reflection. Absolutely. So everything that happens once the referee's blown his whistle, the tournament comes to a close, or that business pitch or presentation <laughs> or the, the business year has finished, everything that happens in that moment. Yeah. And it still surprises me, Phil, but many, many people don't spend any time in reflection. They'll be very, very quick to move on, They'll overlook the opportunity to maybe take any learnings or reflections from what's just happened. And instead, they will just want to run straight into the next preparation phase. 
So when I'm getting them to pause or encouraging them to pause into reflection, some of them have a real hostility towards me encouraging them to do that. There's almost that little bit of fear of having to look backwards at what was or maybe look at themselves a little bit like rewatching yourself on a recording or seeing yourself maybe deliver a speech, for example. Um, It can be awkward. It can be uncomfortable. But also, I think what it does is it sets a level of accountability because you're reflecting on what happened. And there's some accountability in that. Yeah, no, I did that really well, didn't I? Yeah, great. Oh, but maybe I could have done that better or I let myself down or we didn't quite fulfill the proposal or the pitch in the way that we could have done because we didn't execute in the way that we thought we were were prepared to do so. So I think accountability is one of those things that's important and that can happen in reflection. But also I just continually think that it's a missed opportunity for growth and development. And the majority of the elite performers that I worked with initially 10 years ago in the sporting space, the elite performers were doing this all the time. They were finishing training, they were finishing performances and thinking, right, okay, what went well and how can we make the next training session even better? I'm pleased to say it's coming to business, but often business pressure or perceived business pressure Mm. leads businesses to say, look, we don't have time to go backwards. We just got to keep looking forwards. So Sam, thank you for the reflection questions, but we're now going to go into preparation for the next phase. And so I think there's still a tussle that goes on. I see it in my coaching work, I'm not sure if you do too. Teams and leaders Mm. hesitant to look backwards because there's a pressure or a perceived pressure to keep looking forwards. Yeah. Do you know, it's really interesting that I, I learned about reflection um, back in the mid nineties when I started work at Rolls Royce and we worked with some coaches there and, and at the end of every session, they would do what's called a T account and they would draw a T on a page. What went well, even better if, uh, and they just put EBI and WWW before yeah. the internet came along. Interestingly. So, so we'd always look at, okay, that's what, what went well. And we list that thing, but the even better if was where the learnings came from. Um, and I think it's a real power in that. And I think I always do it now. And I still use that T account now with my clients. Um, I ask them to reflect on where they've been, what they've done. And I ask them to share those reflections in a team meeting as well. Because I always say, look, you're going to learn something because I picked something up. You might not pick it up, but you'll learn something from my reflection. Um, and I think that's one thing. But I think it, it's really interesting what you just said there. A lot of business people, businesses, have mm. a view that they've just got to keep pressing on. They don't have time to stop, take stock and move on again. And I think they miss a trick on that. Totally. I agree. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's I think it's a huge opportunity that's often missed because there's that in inner voice or that cultural voice around the organization that says, no, don't look back. Keep going forward. What's yeah. next? What's next? Where are we going next? What are we doing next? Yeah. And actually the answer for where you should be going next or could be going next is probably in the reflection. But people are making presumptions or trying to just move forward without actually draining the goodness, really draining. Uh, One of my clients in the sporting space gave this to me about 10 years ago that said, um, it's like squeezing an orange and getting all of the juice out of it. That's what reflection does. So rather than just taking it for what it is, let's drain the goodness, squeeze out the goodness. And I see it it frequently, I see it regularly. Businesses often don't do that. They'll just be pleased they created the orange and let's just go. What's next? Yeah. So, so, so here's the, the, the question in that case. How do you encourage people to do that? Because you and I can talk it. We know it's the right thing to do. Yeah. How do you get people to, to enable them to say, yeah, Sam, let's do it? I think people very rarely will um, engage in something until they see the benefit of it. So I encourage everybody that's listening to your podcast today, Phil, or listening to it on the recording, is have the opportunity just to allow themselves to enter a space of reflection. It could be that they limit the amount of time. So please don't feel like it has to be weeks long that it has to be hours long. I'm not saying you have to take days to do this. It could just be that they spend 15 to 20 minutes on a recent performance or a recent project that they were involved with and just ask themselves some curious questions. Okay, so what did we do really well? Start with the celebration. What did we do really well? What was fantastic? Let's bring that positive energy in and then go with some curiosity. Okay, so what could we have done differently? And was that something that we could have maybe prepared for in the preparation phase differently? Or was it something that we needed to do differently in the execution phase? And then even if then they only do those couple of questions, but in the last one, which is, if we were to face that situational scenario again tomorrow, what would we do differently? So just three questions. What were the successes? What went well? And then what what could maybe have been improved? And is that in the preparation phase or the execution phase? And then if we were facing that same scenario again tomorrow, what would we do differently? So it's not a blame. I think people fear it to blame Mm -hmm. or they think that they're going to have to go back. That idea of accountability, I used it. Sometimes, oh, no, that means we've got to judge each other, blame each other, criticize each other. That's not how I would shape that reflection. It's more open curiosity about what we did well, what we could do differently, and then what we're going to do next time if that situation arises again. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Now, you've used the word curiosity quite a bit in the last yeah. 30 minutes. 
What does yeah. curiosity mean to you? Because you and I can talk about it. What does curiosity mean? Curiosity for me, and I encourage all of my clients to do this, is to remain consciously curious. So always wondering. So trying to make sense of scenarios and situations is a really valuable tool, but don't just allow things to fit into black or white. Okay, it's important to know facts and it's important to know the details, of course, but always try to think a little bit more curiously about either why that conclusion has been reached, if it is a black or white outcome, mm -hmm. such as a business outcome of success, or maybe, uh, for example, a sales number was achieved or it wasn't. Great, there's a, there's a black or white nature to that, yeah. but stay curious around it. So what led to that? What, what could have contributed to that? What maybe were the reasons for the successes? So it's a curiosity about the outcome rather than just, oh yeah, we did it, we didn't. Oh yeah, we were that. successful, we weren't. Yeah. So in that lens, it's around curiosity. And then the other is around making sense of maybe people or our communication. So it's not just about they did that to me or I must do it this way. Curiosity in that sense is, okay, you could, but what else? Oh yeah, they did do that. And you think it's because of this reason, but what else might it be? What else could it be? And so curiosity and wondering are two phrases that I use all of the time in my leadership development, my leadership and team trainings, and also my executive coaching. Love it. I love that word wondering as well, actually. And I'm not going to go in there because that's another, another avenue. <laughs> yeah. But I love that. And I love that curiosity. So I thought I'd ask that. Yeah. So look, I want to go back to the beginning of this podcast. Mm. And we, we got stuck into some content there. And I, and I love your um, preparation, execution, reflection phrase. Um, and before we more there i asked you you know how would i describe sam bishop what's the word mm. so you said about um performance psychology um but i want to find out who's sam now mm. we should have done this 35 minutes ago but when, okay. how did you get where you are today and what what what's got you here? you know marshall goldsmith always uses the phrase you know what got you here won't get you there but what's got you here in the first place i'll give i'll give you two answers if that's okay the first the first answer is very much what you'll see on my website and my cv uh, which is my sort of academic journey. So um, I studied psychology at undergrad. I got a degree in generalized psychology, so BSc. I then decided I want to work with people and the idea of transformation within people, not the diagnosis of people or just the analysis of people. So then chose to go and do a, a master's degree in psychotherapy. And so psychology, psychotherapy together was really my passion. It was what I was really mm -hmm. connected to. Got to then work with individual people, which led me into the sporting space as a a young male qualified therapist at that level, mm -hmm. which is a fantastic position to be at the age I was, but also opened up the opportunity then to work with certain client groups, which is why the Professional Footballers Association and organizations like that approached me then to work with athletes in that high performance space. Okay. That then took me on a journey then in, a, in elite professional, excuse me, elite pressure and high performance spaces that then created the opportunity to take what I'd learned in the sports field into the boardroom. So what I'd learned in the sports space into business spaces, and that was opened about five years or so ago, started very much as an open doorway, Phil, to yeah. come and tell us what you do with the footballers in, this, in the team space. Yeah, or okay. we're, we're competitive as a sales team. Help us to be more competitive from what you've learned in the sports world um, and what your athletes are doing and how you're getting the best out of them. Come and get the best out of our people, which has then grown and developed into doing more additional training and CPD and things like executive coaching and really sort of led me to where I am now in that either one-to-one -one exec coaching space, leadership and team development programs, thinking about the leaders that they are or the teams that they are, where they are currently, where they want to be. And also some keynotes. I'm, I'm really fortunate to get invited out to do some mm -hmm. keynote speaking, uh, Phil. But that's, the, I suppose, the journey. But the second answer is, I've always been fascinated by people. Yeah, I've okay. always been Love blown it. away by the reality that we as human beings are living in worlds whereby we perceive it differently, we feel differently, we think differently, we behave differently. And I am still constantly curious about why. Yeah, why can you and I go through the same situation this afternoon, but maybe feel differently about it yeah, or think yeah, differently yeah. about it? And so the reason why I am where I am today is because I constantly found people fascinating and I'm passionate about people. So whether it be a Premier League footballer this afternoon that I have a one-to-one -one with or a CEO of a large organization, or it be a, a middle management group of leaders that want to be better leaders tomorrow, or sometimes it's a thousand people on a stage at a keynoting at, I always talk about people because I would say people are my passion. Yeah, love that. What a great thing. I love that's a, a lovely thing now for ending that with a sentence there, people are your passion. Yeah. Um, so, so let's come back to reflection in that case. Mm. Um, yeah. You've been doing what you're doing for a, a number of years now, you know, over a decade of working with it, with, with, with high performers of, of many kinds. Yeah. Um, how, what's your reflection on that journey? And what, what would you give, if you were to go back in time, what's the advice you'd give the young Sam Bishop starting out on your journey as a yeah. business person yeah. with what you now know? 
I, th I think it's a great question. Um, what I would encourage myself to do is to be more confident earlier. I felt because I was, a, and this is being um, extremely honest with your audience, Phil, because I was a younger therapist coming into this space, a lot of my peers and colleagues were a lot older than me. And so there's a part of me at times, I think, didn't say yes to certain opportunities or didn't push the business in directions that it, that maybe it could have gone a little bit earlier because I felt like I needed to earn my stripes, earn some credibility. So if I could maybe go back to a, to some Bishop, yeah, maybe a decade or so ago when he was leaving yeah. university and starting out in this space, and that's in both the sporting spaces and in the business corporate spaces, I would probably have encouraged him to say yes a little bit earlier. Wow. Those oh, opportunities oh. that presented themselves, just say yes. It, it, may, have, it may have been a response of... Um, Oh, that's interesting, but maybe in 12 months or, oh, just yeah. let me just go and do this course or qualification and then I'll see you in 18 months time. That would be one of the key messages I would go back and say to myself yeah. in a reflective mode. Some be a bit more confident and say yes to those opportunities sooner. Yeah, do you know, that's a, that's an amazing reflection, actually. And I, and I think a lot of people could probably take a lot from that. And probably a lot of people would say similar things when I've asked them that question over the last 79 podcasts that we've done. <laughs> Um, the similar type of thing comes out. But I think it's really interesting, isn't it? Because I always ask the question now, and what are you going to do with that information? Because yeah. you've just reflected something to yeah. me, you know, that journey you've just had. But I always ask you, and you don't need to tell me the answer to that, but um, from a coaching perspective, what does Sam need to do with that information so you can now internalize it for the next stage of your life? Absolutely. But just yeah. just a, my, my takeaway there is where, where next. Yeah, thank you. Um, so here's a question. We're going to come rapidly up in that case. Um, mm. I can see your QR code on on here. Yeah. Actually, and, you know, I can see what you're doing there. Um, yeah. How would people find you, and what would they be needing if they come looking for you? Yeah, it's great. It's a great question. For a couple of things that I would say is that first thing is that they can reach out to me on platforms such as LinkedIn, and they'll get an insight into the topics that I talk about. I'm regularly putting out posts and different sort of related articles and research. Um, so if people like to consume information that way, then I'd encourage them to connect with me on LinkedIn. Yeah. If they'd like to see a little bit maybe more behind the scenes, yeah. then I'd encourage them to maybe follow me on Instagram. I'm much more up to date on my daily activities, where I'm traveling to, the sessions that I'm delivering, and just see a little bit more behind the scenes of the work that I deliver rather than just the content. Yeah. Um, and then finally, the final place that people, if they were looking to find out more about me or the material that I talk about, I've got a YouTube channel. I'm pleased to say we've just posted over 100 videos on there, wow. whereby there's a lot of content on there about these materials, excuse me, a lot of content on there about these topics covers a wide variety of some of the materials that I use in my, my, my sessions with clients, some of the tools and frameworks that I use. So again, it's a very visual space. If people actually would prefer not to go behind the scenes, they don't want to read an article on LinkedIn, but prefer to see me in action or just listen to maybe some of my perspectives on the topics that I talk about, then head over to my YouTube channel too. And, and, and I'm going to give a, a thumbs up as well, because I've looked at a number of those videos, actually, and there's some great stuff and they are very, uh, very down to earth, very you, not salesy. It's just you giving no. some good content away. So I think that's brilliant. So I would uh, recommend you go and look at that. Um, so Sam, look, it's been a, been a pleasure to talk to you, actually. And um, I look forward to having a chance to meet you in person again, because it's been some yeah. time. Um, but I just love that journey we've been on. There's a, there's a bit of meander in our story, but I think, you know, preparation, execution, reflection, you've covered all three there. And I, I really appreciate you taking the time to have a conversation and, um, and hopefully the audience, in fact, won't take the word, hopefully the audience I know will get some benefit from this. So thank you very much. Well, thank you for, for having me on. It's been great to share some time with you. And, and I agree. I look forward to meeting up in person again soon. Yeah. Thanks, Sam. It's been brilliant. Thanks very much. I look forward to seeing thanks, you. Mate. Take care. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast as much as I've enjoyed recording it. This is just one of the great conversations I've had the privilege of being part of since I started recording the Sparks Baconian podcast. So please go back and listen to some of the others. There's some great content in there for some great contributors. And also, while you're at it, please leave a review of this show with your comments because that helps other people like you find this content. And we want to bring about the change that we really know matters to people. It helps us grow. And also, think about what actions you want to take, because there's no point just listening passively. We want you to pick it up and do something with it. So what are the three key things you want to do? I can't hold you accountable, but if you want to, drop me a note, phil at igniumconsult.com. We're always keen to listen to what you have to say, and actually introduce guests to us that you think will bring relevance to other people. We wish you well. Give us a call. Let us know what you think. Give us a review. Thank you.